So we saw that and moved the shelf that was blocking the wall and there was a huge rotting hole this big right next to the tub. And then we went downstairs and noticed in the kitchen there were starting to be cracks where the ceiling was actually collapsing due to the rot up above. And so that didn't happen overnight. That happened over probably a year or two of negligence. And so we're now the property managers that have to, to pass that news on to the owner. And it's not fun, but bad news doesn't get better with time. So you, you got to say, hey, we were at the property. We did our inspection. This is what we found. You know, here's what we think it's going to cost. Like, we think this has to be repaired immediately next month. Or, you know what, this can be a summer thing. That one's going to be a next week thing. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. This is the show where we dive into best practices for managing your rental property business. And I am very pleased to have with me today Josh Brook, who is a real estate agent with Wits Realty and also Wits Property Management Service. I'm not going to go into too much of that. I'm going to just, sure. just ask you, uh, Josh, if you would tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, so I, like like you said, I work with What's Realty. Um, relatively new agent. Uh, been there for about a year and really got into the investment side of several three uh, about three years ago uh, when I was working at a couple different healthcare software startups in the area. And a friend of mine bought his first investment property, and that was kind of the the first person I knew that was doing real estate investing. And so since then, I've got the bug and started talking to Wits about buying a property and had a job transition come up just last year and I kind of changed the conversation and said, hey guys, I'd really like to work with you. So since then, I've been plugged into real estate, specifically focused on uh, investments. And uh, now I run their property management service. Uh, and that's kind of, I spend a good amount of time there today. So Okay, yeah. great. And tell us a little bit more about the company. So What's your ideal, you know, clientele? Which are what areas do you serve? What types of properties do you manage? Sure. So yeah, we're a, we're a small boutique firm. Uh, we're I office out of the WeWork in Uptown, really great spot. Um, we we're a little bit different of a brokerage um, in the sense that we really focus on kind of the experience and creating uh, a great experience for uh, all all the people within real estate. And so we were founded. Um, just about eight years ago and uh, kind of did the friends and family and, and uh, help people just buy their homes and create a remarkable experience that way. And then um, 
a lot of our clients kind of are investor minded. And so after buying their primary home, they started thinking about, well, gosh, you guys are investing in properties. Could you help us invest in some properties too? And so we started doing that and, and then they came to us and said, well, now we own a couple, could you help us manage it? And so we started doing that and uh, we're now doing some development stuff based on kind of different market opportunities. And so uh, we really focus on kind of a full service within real estate and, and basically how can we help the clients that, that we're working with. So um, we're, we're primarily in the, the Twin Cities area. Um, a few of our realtors are, are farther up north and, um, and work in areas like that, but primarily in the cities. Okay. Yeah. And so for the properties that you manage, are they typically like the one to four unit properties or yeah. five plus? At all? Yeah, one to fours is primarily. Okay. There are 107 units uh, that we manage. One of our owners does own a, a trailer park uh, that um, that's farther up north. Um, okay. That's kind of that's not within that that unit count. So that's but we do have some exposure to to managing things like that. Oh, okay, very neat. Um, okay, so. You know, one thing that I want to focus on in this show is just kind of the relationship between the property owner and the property manager. Sure. Because in my view, um, it really takes a team to go far. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, you want to make sure you're identifying a good property manager. Um, you know, someone asked me the other day, what's, what's the value in having a property manager? Why can't people just do it themselves? So what would be your answer to that question? Sure. That's, that's a really good question. Um... People can do it themselves. Um, the key is, or the big question is, how much time do you want to spend doing it? And what skills do you think you have that you could bring to the table to actually do it really, really well? Um, and so uh, that requires some critical thinking and some self-examination. And, and uh, often it's, it's good to actually outsource it and, and pay somebody else to do it who has those specific skills and the process and the systems. And, and I mean, it's a business, like real estate when you buy a property, you're buying, buying a business. And um, I don't think people realize that. And so you need, you need certain things in place to make sure that runs really, really smoothly. Um, and so a good property manager will have that mindset of operating a business. And um, they'll be professional. They realize that not only is the owner their customer, but so are the tenants too. And so you really have to think about uh, the, the, the building as a business and and you're selling a product that happens, you know, to be a rental property. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, like you said, you know, anybody could do it. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that to an extent. But, again, if you're going to go far with it, if you're going to really scale your investment business, you know, there's only so much time in the day that you have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. A lot of times, I don't know if you follow, like, a lot of financial investment uh blog posts or like um, some in the fire community so financially independent retire early uh, I subscribe to a lot of them and I feel like everyone is always talking about their side hustle and so like they've retired early but then they work a million jobs just trying to you know make a little side income and real estate specifically in property management it's kind of the same way as like oh I'm investing in this real estate to retire early or create passive income except they're working crazy hours and they're tearing their hair out and you know their family hates them because they're working all the time and a big thing people need to calculate is their hourly wage um, and you know how much is your time actually worth well and property managers I mean they're not that expensive I mean the expensive stuff is actually comes from bad property managers and just 
not doing a good job. That's where the big expenses come in. A good property manager will more than provide enough value for the cost that they're worth. So, yeah, well, that's a great point then. So how would you tell the audience is a good way to tell a good bad, good property manager from a bad one? Um, one is just communication. Um, a big thing uh, that we try to do is set expectations and communicate upfront. Uh, what's going on with the property. Um, so being proactive and just say, hey, here's what happens, here's what we're planning to do, and here's how we expect that to come out. So really when you interview them, you can ask them questions, and based on their responses, you'll be able to gauge, are they effective communicators? Are they, do, you, do they seem proactive, or at least have they been in situations that they have a good answer for the question that you're running them through? So the proactive communication is, is, a, is a big piece. Um, Second is just having processes in place. Um, a lot of a lot of property managers kind of just fly by the seat of their pants, and it feels like they're running around all over with their hair on fire. And you kind of you kind of just feel that when you're talking with them. It's like we're talking right now, but I feel like your mind is all the way, you know all the way over. And just like like listen to that in your gut, um, because a lot of the property managers, well, we're kind of all answering the same the, the question the same way. It's more how you answer it, and do you have stories to, to back that up to show that you've actually done it? So that's that's a couple tips that I would use when interviewing a property manager. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that. I, I don't think I told you this earlier, but I used to be a property manager. Oh, okay. Um, I had a portfolio that I was in charge of, and I, I can totally relate to kind of having my hair on fire, running all over the place. Um, but it's important to have systems for how you're going to handle these different problems mm -hmm. and, re and respond to them so you don't go crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Property management is not a stress-free job. Um, and good property managers know how to handle that stress and push it back onto the systems that they've created. Yep. Oh, very good. So the next part of my show is called Tenants Make Me Laugh. <laughs> and um, I, I hope that means you're thinking about something, you know, because I'm going to ask you now. What's a story in your experience? I know it's been sure. only about a year or so, but what's a situation that you've come across where you know you just can't make this stuff up about uh, things tenants say or do or something like that? Uh, yeah, there there are a few. Uh, I mean, you get to you get to see a lot. Um, some of them, some of them are funny and some of them are sad. I think that's that's one of the things that that I really think about is as a property manager. Tenants are also my customers, and so I'm always I'm always careful, like how I approach them, and even even how I talk about them is like they're not just commodities. And I think a lot of property managers treat tenants like commodities, and they just plug and play. Um, specifically, when you're offering housing uh, to lower income families, so they might participate in a voucher program like Section Eight or things like that, and so. They just kind of rack up, go through tenants and things like that. And so some stories, it's like, well, that was actually really, really sad, and, and, and I feel bad for that person. And so you try to communicate with both with empathy, but then also always try to find resolution. And then some stories, it's just like, man, you know, you just can't make that up. So just the other day, we were at, we were at a property doing our, our fall inspection and, you know, let the tenants know, you know, many days in advance, like, hey, we're coming, we're going to be in each one of your units, we're going to be looking at the common spaces, we're going to be outside, kind of prepping to make sure that there aren't any major things going wrong before winter, but then also planning what big projects are we going to have to do in the summer and communicate that back to the owner. Um, and so we're at this fourplex and um, walking around, going to each unit and one last unit, um, 
that we haven't gone in and knock on the door, no answer, pound on the door, no answer, take out the key, unlock it, start walking in, and I turn back to talk to my maintenance guy, and just as I do that, the bedroom door swings open, and the tenant comes out, and he's like, whoa, don't come in, I'm naked. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, okay. So we quick left and uh, gave him a couple of minutes to get dressed, and that was just one, one of the things you can't prepare for that. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yep. You so, gotta be ready for anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so that that's kind of a funny story and uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well I, I appreciate that and I appreciate what you've prefaced it with as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important and it kind of ties into my next topic, which is customer service yeah. and relationship management. Um so how do you see customer service in general and then maybe specifically to your tenants, and then specifically to property owners. Sure. So I'll preface this saying we manage actually quite a few different types of properties. Some are in South Minneapolis, some in Roseville, some in uh, East St. Paul. Uh, we, have, we have a couple coming up in North Minneapolis. And so very, very different types of tenants, very, very different types of properties. And so it's understanding, again, to think about it as a business, it's understanding how to best match the product that you have with the right customer, product being the unit, customer being the tenant. And so, so that's what we try to do. And so customer service is, should be the same. You're just going to have a different type of product. So the product might be a not very nice, when I, when I say not very nice, it means just you don't have a lot like new, like really nice car, um, carpets or uh, countertops or beautiful cabinets or things like that. Um, that doesn't mean that the service should match that product. You shouldn't necessarily have different tiers of service. So that's something I want to stress. Um, and the big thing that I really try to, to push is you treat people like people. And so one, that means you treat them with respect and dignity, but then you also recognize that people lie. And so you trust, it's kind of like that, that old saying, you trust but verify. And so you listen to what they say, and then you got, actually have to go check to make sure that's true. Um, and so, that's kind of our approach to customer service. Um, and that actually goes a long, a long way. As soon as you stop viewing tenants as commodities and recognize like, wow, this is a customer in front of me right now. How can I create a remarkable experience for them? Because, I mean, people forget, especially homeowners who have lived in the same place for a long time, how stressful moving is. Nobody likes moving. And so a big thing is how can I communicate effectively and clearly to make this a stress-free transition for the tenant who's either moving in or moving out? And that goes a long way. And so those two things, kind of bookending that experience, the move-in and the move-out, that goes a long way to creating a great uh, experience for the customer. And then within there, it's setting expectations. And it's saying like, hey, I expect you to pay rent on time. And if it's not, here's what's going to happen. And so, again, just communicate expectations on the front end. And that goes a long way. Yep. Can you give an example of the move-in procedure that you have that really helps to set that yeah. experience? Yeah. So the big thing that we do is we require a move-in inspection that the tenant actually fills out. So there, what the tenant is doing is actually inspecting us and making sure that the unit is clean. And we basically set the bar. And so we say... Um, hey, this unit is available for rent. This is, this is the finished product. And so at that point, we give them a sheet and say, hey, can you inspect this product? Because 
this is how we, ex we want it to be returned to when you leave. And so that's kind of what we do on the front end is they have the sheet of paper, they're marking stuff um, on it, and then they send it back to me. And, and we, we look it over and generally I say, okay, great, this is, this is the standard now. When you move out, I'm going to take this sheet and I'm going to walk through and I'm going to compare it to see to the same standard that you did. And so, so that goes a long way of just, just communicating that. Um, other thing is explaining the maintenance protocol really, really st stressing. We want to know about any issues that you have, specifically when it comes to um, um, low-income housing or tenants that participate in a voucher program. You want to communicate, hey, we're not going to charge you for stuff unless you broke it. If it, if it, you know, if the shower is clogged or there's a drip, let us know. We will fix it for free because if they don't report it, that's going to cost the owner potentially thousands of dollars. And so it's, all, it's almost like a coaching technique where you need to really come alongside them and say, like, hey, are you happy? Are you, is there anything going on that we should fix for you? And um, take that extra mile to communicate. You're not paying for this. We're making sure you like the place you live. Yep. I think that's really uh, important what you've said that you have to reach out to ask those questions. I know from my experience, there's been so many times where the tenants have an issue and they kind of just deal with it. Mm -hmm. And then later on, they're like, well, you never fixed this and this and this. Well, uh, maybe if you told us about that, it would be, yeah. we'd be able to respond to it. But, yeah. Yeah. So. That's, that's, that's definitely a big one um, is, you know, then they come back and point the finger at you. And that's just not a fun experience as a property manager or for the tenant as well. And so you gotta be, you gotta be proactive. Yeah, mm -hmm. very good. Um, now I wanna kind of switch to the customer service related to the property owner. Sure. And I don't know if you've ever heard it said this way, but a lot of property investors talk about managing the manager. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, how do you see yourself as kind of a, a part of their team and your role in their investment business. Yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it, man. Managing the manager. Um, I've noticed, so again, even from the owner standpoint, there's a lot of different owners. We work with quite a few out-of-state uh, in, investors, California, Tennessee, Texas, D.C., like just pretty much coast to coast. Um, and depending on their relationship with their property, they're going to want different levels of service or, or different levels of engagement. And so, again, I'm not doing it based on how large their property is and how much they're paying me. I'm going to do it based on what, on what they want. And so we have clients that, you know, are in other states that really all I do is I give them a heads up if there's a large maintenance bill coming. And they say, great, thanks for letting us know. Um, and we might have an annual call and just say, like, hey, here's what I think the property is doing. Uh, if I would... If I could recommend any um, improvements, this is what I would do. Here, I've already scoped out a cost. Here's what here's what I'd like to do next summer. Um, I have other owners who used to self-manage, and so their property, it's a single-family home. We don't make a lot of money on it, but that doesn't matter. This property was their baby and still is their baby. And so sometimes they're like, oh, I actually called one of my old contractors, and they're going to be heading out to the property and fix it. And I'm like, Okay, thanks for letting me know. I'll communicate with them to make sure that it's a good experience for the tenants. And so sometimes when self-managers give up managing the property, there's just more hand-holding because you have to build that trust over time. And so 
people that have really involved owners or property managers that have really involved owners probably are not doing a good job building that trust or doing proactive communication like I talked about. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I view the relationship, man. The the relationship between the manager and the owner. Yeah, I can totally see that. You know, if somebody has managed their property themselves and then decides to turn it over for whatever reason, they've got totally different expectations because they they've got the way that they've done things. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. And sometimes that's not a. Sometimes it's just not a good way. Um, like some self managers don't have a move in check in. And there's just kind of this steady stream of turnover after turnover after turnover. And then all of a sudden you have a basement full of stuff that is from five tenants ago, but nobody said anything. And so sometimes it's like you, you have to educate them like, hey, that, that worked. We do it differently and here's why. And almost like enlighten them to like, this is the standard. This is why you're paying for a property manager so these issues don't come up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very good. I think that's really great insight. Okay, so the next part of our show, I actually have a question from our audience. Awesome. That was not <laughs> planned at all, actually. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to hopefully get this up here. And Hi, good morning. I'm Valen from Egan, Minnesota. I have a question for your guest. Uh, let's say that uh, I have a tenant in my rental house. Um, I found out they have a pet, unauthorized pet. What do I do? How do I handle this uh, situation? Thank you. All right. That's a good question. Uh, Valen, I think was his name. Yep. Um, so for that, Valen, what I'd recommend is do a little investigation on the front end. And one, do you actually have it in your lease that it says no pets? Um, sometimes that's a big miss uh, that, that people don't do and they, and they forget to add that to the lease or have that addendum attached. And so do your homework on the front end so you don't come in and start pointing fingers um, and then if, if you do have that clause, uh, notify the tenant, say, hey, it's been reported or we see that you have an unauthorized pet per your lease. You cannot have that. And usually what we recommend is having some sort of per incident fee. Um, so it's very clear like, hey, this is a $50 fee. Um, it's non-refundable. We're going to charge you, add it to your bill. We're not taking it from your security deposit. And from there we need you to actually remove the pet um, from the property. Otherwise, next month you're going to get the same charge, things like that. So, But you got to do that homework on the front end and make sure make sure that you don't um, miss that on the lease. Yeah, it's like, that's really important. Make sure it's in writing. Mm-hmm. Make sure they've agreed to it, setting expectations up front. Yeah. But uh, even when those expectations are set, you know, sometimes tenants just decide to do their own thing. Yep, absolutely. We have that, that exact situation at the property, um, and we gave her. I gave. I was inspecting the property yesterday, and that's how I found out. And so I, I gave her a verbal warning. Tomorrow, I'm going to send her a written notice um, that you can't have that. And um, next time I go out there, or if I get reports from other tenants, that's when I'll uh, add that charge. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you do give them a little warning. First. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I just want to talk to our audience quick. Uh, we would really appreciate your participation in the show. And so that's why we have a little section here, question from the audience. And if so, if you've uh, run into any scenario uh, with your ma- properties that you invest in, and I'm sure if you have some, then you, there are scenarios that you're like, <laughs> what do I do with this situation? We'd love to have you submit your question 
for our next guests. And so just look to the show notes for just some instructions for how you can submit your questions. So thank you. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is maximizing a property's income. Sure. Um, typically, uh, at least in larger properties, the value of the property is really based off of the net operating income. So income minus expenses, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, on smaller properties, one to four, it comes into play a little bit, uh, although the comparable sales influence it as well. Yeah. Either way, I mean, we're running a business, so we want to maximize that income. Mm-hmm. So what would you say are some examples of places that owners are missing income or missing opportunity that they could, you know, have better income? Sure. So kind of before I get into that, the important thing is the, the income is determined based on, on the product. And so there are a few things that you can do once you own the property to improve it. Um, but you need to know upfront, is this, is this a property that I'm planning? Like, is it an opportunity property where I can do value add things and or is this, or am I buying a finished product and it just happens to be a really good deal and the income isn't going to change? And so doing that work on the front end, working with great real estate agents who know investment properties should be able to help determine that, okay, this is a value add or where you can improve the value of the property, therefore increase the, the income. Or, hey, this is a pretty much set deal. It, it is what it is. You're not going to be able to get a lot more for it. Um, oftentimes, into your actual question, um, things like utilities are an area where you can explore. Uh, the ideal situation is where you have split utilities, like at a like at a duplex, where everybody it's very clear who's using what, and you can charge for that. A lot of times, if you that's not the case, where you have split utilities, and so usually the owner just eats those costs. Um, what you can do actually is um, there are different ways to do it. One approach is you can take the twelve month average of the water bill or the electrical bill or whatever utility and divide it per month and say, Mr. Tenant, Miss Tenant, this is how much we're actually going to charge you on, on it's, it's based on average cost. Here's the, the 12 month or the, the bills from the last 12 months. Um, here's how we came to that number. We'll show you each month what the bill is. Um, and that's a lot of that is actually required by law to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one approach to pass on expenses. Um, oh, well, your, your question was about income. But, but that's one way that would actually yeah. change in that operating income. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, for sure. It, even though it's related to expenses, definitely is another I- income revenue stream. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Another thing, well, one thing we're doing on our uh, 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 fourplex that we manage is looking at storage opportunities. Uh, the basement currently isn't being utilized, but we could use it for storage. And so if we put up different lockers for tenants and have a storage unit, um, what's their appetite even paying an additional $25? And you don't have to set it up where, depending on how you announce that change, you could say, hey, we're now offering storage. If you'd like a unit, it's $25. Or you could say, at the, maybe it's up um, when their lease comes up for renewal, you can say, hey, we're, we're actually adding some improvements to the property. You're going to get a storage unit but the lease, the rent now is going up $25. And talk about it as like, oh, we've actually dramatically improved the quality of life by adding the storage unit or parking spots, things like that, where you, it might be tricky to pay for that specific thing, 
But if you just say, oh, and rent's going going up $25, $50, kind of depending on the situation, that's another way to do it where it's, it's almost easier to sell. Yep. You know, a lot of those South Minneapolis four-unit buildings, their basement is wide open. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned earlier, it can get filled with old tenants stuff that's moved out and abandoned mm-hmm. if it's not, you know, kept up. So uh, I think that's a great idea to be splitting off sections and then rent making either, like you said, either make it a part of the rent mm-hmm. or charge separately yeah. depending on need. Mm-hmm. And that's where you can kind of look at the property, kind of figure out the tenants. What's what's going to be the easier sell? Is it is it easier to sell this storage unit by itself at $75 or is it easier to sell the unit plus the storage at this rent, this new rent amount. And yep. and that's why it's good to have a property manager who can feel out the tenants. Yep. Very good. Okay, so then I'm gonna move on to expenses and sure. how do we keep those under control? Because um, I think the fear that a lot of investors have is if they turn it over to the manager, their expenses are gonna just go crazy. Yeah. Because the manager's gonna wanna fix everything and wanna make improvements and then they're gonna try to maybe make some money off of the, you know, the markups. Yeah. So, you know, I think that for me, even for, for a lot of owners, that might be one of the big objections for hiring a manager. Sure. So how do you as a company keep those costs under control? So that's, that's where you really, that's kind of where you take a step back and you actually look at the incentives program and figure out how you can align the interest with the property manager and the owner and the tenant. And so, some property managers, um, you, you know, the fee structure is usually a fixed monthly fee, and then there are other different components, usually a percentage or all of the first month's rent, things like that. Um, and we look at that, and specifically the first month's rent or a percentage of that, we view that as a misalignment in incentives for the manager and the owner. Essentially, the manager is getting paid to have high turnover there, and so you're you're you, as the manager, you're like, I don't really care the quality of the tenant because if I have to kick them out, I get more money when I move a tenant in. So I don't really care. So that's a misalignment too. Uh, on the maintenance side, what you want to do is when you're interviewing a property manager, talk about how do you handle maintenance? How do you have your contractors? Uh, I mean, on all the all the different investor forums, the biggest questions are often, does anybody have a guy who can do this? Does anybody have a gal who can do that? And a, pro- a good property manager would say, I have a person who does this, 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 and this. And ask them, why did you choose those people? So, you know, how's your relationship with them? What do you do if there's, you know, they're sick or they're, they've got a full schedule? Things like that. So ask, ask questions how they, um, how they manage that crew. Then the other thing is um, you want a property manager who treats the property like their own. And so... Yes, it's true that the property manager might want to do capital improvements and like, hey, I think it's time to do this. Just set it up where it's like, hey, can you run? You need to run these by me, and before I actually pull the trigger on them, you can't just go out and spend four hundred dollars on this without at least giving me a heads up. And so that's what we do uh, with Wits Property Management. We have a dollar limit on each one of the properties, and we always give them a heads up. Um, now, WIT's fee component is just a fixed man- uh, monthly fee, and then we actually capture, uh, we add a 10% fee on top of any maintenance bill. So if a maintenance bill is $100, the owner gets charged $110. And what we're trying to do there is incentivize, align the incentives so that we truly care for the property, 
as if it was our own. And, but we also put a ceiling so that we're not just racking up large amounts of bills. And so when a, a large capital expense is required, that's when we talk to the owner. Or we also try to be proactive and say, hey, I think if you renovate the basement, this is how it will impact. And actually have, have a property manager put together a project plan and a case for that investment. I mean, every expense, every expense sh should be viewed as an investment. And so a good property manager will be able to put that together and say, hey, we're going to spend $5,000 on a new parking lot at this property. I'm just making up $5,000. It would cost more than that. But um, <laughs> here's what I think we can do for rents based on that. Um, or, or it could be... We're the, we're the property that we're really struggling to plow it in the winter or things like that. And so they have to present a case of why they're recommending that. So that's kind of how I'd, I'd, I'd go about balancing that, that, that potential conflict out. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You know, setting expectations, getting clear communication about what's needing to be done. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Cause the big expenses come up when there's you know, when they're just not doing their job and there's negligence and, and they're letting things slide after the tenants report them. Um, that's when the big expenses come in. Property manager, you know, for us, us charging 10, you know, 10%, the average, the average amount we're collecting on top of a, a bill is, you know, maybe 10 bucks. Um, it's just not, it's just not enough to us have proactively, like try to rack up a bunch of really, really small bills. That's, that's a waste of time. Um, and so you want to figure out, you know, is this property manager actually going to respond to those, those little maintenance things? If not, that's where those big expenses come in. Yeah, definitely. You don't want those concerns to be ignored and then have them turn into bigger problems. Yeah, yeah. So, wonderful. Um, so now I want to just ask you about what's the, your role as a property manager when an investor is either buying a property or selling a property? And how do you help? help them out in that process yeah so when let's say when let's say one of our owners wanted to sell their property really what what i would help them do and i'm in a unique situation because i'm also a realtor so um let's just pretend i'm not though what my job would be as a property manager is actually work with the agent to present a case so let's just say one of my coworkers had a really good relationship with the owner and they're the representing agent and i'm just the property manager let's let's use that example um, my job would be to support that agent and say, hey, here are all the financial documents and here's basically the performa for the property and how it, you know, how it looks on paper. Here's quotes from tenants, things like that, and help them put together a case that justifies the list price. Um, and so that's on the, the sales side regarding buying properties. Um, that's where, again, I'm an agent, so that's a unique situation, but let's again say one of my coworkers uh, had a client who would like to use WITS property management. That actually happens often. Um, what I do is actually work with the agent and provide information on the rent rates in the area and just through different software. Then I use Rent-A-Meter as kind of the leading one. I'd, I'd really recommend that. Uh, it's just kind of a, a good base uh, entry, entry level um, software. Um, and that'll at least get you the market average. And so if a client says, hey, we're looking, we're looking at this property, you know, this is the second time that we viewed it. Um, we're thinking about putting an offer. What I'll do is say like, oh, okay, you know what? I, I'll run it through my calculator and say, hey, I don't think this, the math works on this one. Or 
man, you got to double down on this. Here's what I found for rents. Uh, does the tenant care about um, tenants or does the potential owner care about Section 8 or things like that? If not, here's what I think we can get, all that stuff. So um, it's almost being like a, a consultant to the agent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds good. So now I want to just kind of ask you to look into your crystal ball and tell me what's happening with the market. Uh, you know, a lot of people have felt like we're kind of at the top of the market. Rents have been skyrocketing and affordable housing is a real big issue these days. Yeah. Um, but where is it going to go? Is, is this pattern going to continue into the next six months, six years, or what's going to happen next? Yeah. So... I don't really. I don't actually have a good answer for that question. I don't pay a lot of attention to the yield curve or anything like that. It's for me. It's just mentally exhausting, and it seems I kind of feel like the hamster on the on the wheel, and I'm just kind of spinning my wheels and, and things like that. So I don't. I don't keep track of of those really really big trends because you just you just don't know. What I what I do is really look at the micro level. And say, what is what is this neighborhood doing? How is this neighborhood performing? Um, how does the neighborhood next to it perform? And look at the smaller trends, um, and that'll tell me a lot more. Um, that'll give me a lot more concrete evidence. And just to interrupt you briefly here, I, I think that's really why I'm asking you the question is because you, as a property manager, are you're like the boots on the ground. You know sure. how many showings it's taking to get a property leased. You know how your tenants are responding when you tell them the rent's going up. Yeah. So, I mean, based on that experience, how do you feel things are going? Yeah. So, um, I mean, for me, it's going to answer. You know, that question is going to vary based on the neighborhood. Um, I I actually just wrote a blog post about Prospect Park, where um, really, really great area. Like, if you're a current investor in Prospect Park, you're probably doing really, really well, or you should be doing well. Um, so that attracts a lot of new investors. Unfortunately, there's a lot of luxury apartments there now. And so, sure, you could buy a duplex uh, in Prospect Park, or I was looking at a triplex for a client the other day. And essentially what the luxury apartments have done in that neighborhood is put a ceiling on the potential rent rates. And so it's like, yeah, I could rent out a duplex at 1400 but I can get a luxury apartment with a gym and a spa for $1,700. Um, oh, I'll also be able to cancel my gym membership, so I'm saving money. So at that point, it's like, okay, cool, I'll do that. So those luxury apartments place that ceiling, so you can't even get close to that. So you, so in your research, you, you're you going to see the market average and say, oh, I can get 1500 for this. But if you don't know that you know, the upper end are all luxury apartments, you need to make sure that your property is not right next to it. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time filling it. Um, so like, that's just a micro example. Northeast has seen similar things where it's, um, you have to have a pretty good price gap between your unit and the luxury apartments because people are doing that same math on their own. They're like, well, it's essentially $300 more, but if I cancel the gym membership and I've got, you know, fresh time right below me, let's, let's do that. So, um, that's kind of one thing. Um, okay. A lot of parts yeah. of that question that you want me to tackle? No, I, I think that's huge because right now what we're seeing being built is just luxury apartments. Yeah. And I think that's really important, especially as eventually that, that area will get overbuilt 
because since that's the only thing that's being built. Yeah. And so the luxury will have to cut their prices to get their places filled. Yeah. Yep. And or so they're running programs where it's like, hey, you get the first two months free. Yeah. And at that point, it's pretty much a wash. Like, you know, there's not much that $200 a month difference kind of washes out if, if you give them two months free. Yeah. Um, the other thing, oh, yeah, you talked about affordable housing. Um, that's kind of a big pet peeve of mine is often when I do showings for properties that um, are just kind of rougher areas of Minneapolis or St. Paul, people will show up to showings and say, do you accept a voucher? Do you accept Section 8 or whatever voucher they're on? And I say yes. And they're always so shocked. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is the fifth one I've seen this week, and you're the only one that accepts Section 8. And for me, I in Minneapolis, that's actually, I think you would say illegal. Uh, I'm, I'm not sh sure where that bill currently is right now, but you cannot refuse a tenant that based on uh, the based on them participating in the voucher program. And so people are really upset with uh, the laws that Minneapolis is proposing regarding screenings and things like that. And um, if I was, you know, a councilman for, for Minneapolis and I'm hearing all these tenants complain, you know, I can't find affordable housing, I can't find affordable housing, naturally I'm going to listen to them and say, okay, we need to change the screening criteria. Alternatively, property managers could actually start listening to that law and stop discriminating against tenants who, based on them participating in a voucher program. Yes, you still have your credit score criteria. Yes, you still you have your rental and criminal history. Those criteria shouldn't change. The only thing that will change is, okay, is there income being provided or is the rent being written by the city of Minneapolis or, or St. Paul, or is it them? And it doesn't matter. The, the money's still the same. Um, and you still do all your processes and, you know, do your checks to make sure they're not beating it up. And so on the affordable front, there's a huge opportunity to offer housing to people who, who participate in the Section 8 program. We are working with investors um, to really help them grow that, that portfolio because there's a huge market opportunity. You can get the properties really cheap. The rent can be really high, and it's guaranteed rent. And a good property manager will know how to prevent those properties from getting run down. Yeah. And so um, I'm, not, I'm not kind of afraid of what's going on in Minneapolis. I think it's actually an opportunity. So I'm kind of running into it when a lot of people are like, ah, oh, Minneapolis sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really hot topic these days. I, yeah. I went to the hearing the other day about the uh, uh, rental criteria screening. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get into it all right here. Okay, okay. But, we can uh, talk about it afterwards. Big <laughs> big issue there. So, um, and I like your perspective on it, though. That's it. When things change and people are running away, that can very well be a good opportunity to run the opposite direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, something you touched on there uh, brought me to another question, which is going backwards a little bit in our in our conversation. But um, ways to make sure that um, your property is not falling apart, or, yeah. or uh, you know, so the question is, how often do you recommend either the owner or the property manager actually visit and get actual eyes on the property to make sure it's not being neglected? Um, it's really up to the owner. Um, I would say if the owner wants to get involved, always give the property manager a heads up. It's kind of like, so if the property is the business, um, the owner is basically the CEO. Um, and 
I mean, it, it would be the equivalent to a CEO just showing up uh, at a sales meeting and say, hey, I'm going to take along for the day, not giving any heads up or not having any context for what's going on in the in the business transaction. And so for all you people like out in the professional world, that would like that would be the worst thing ever. And so for a property manager, it's the same thing. When you just say, when you get that email and the owner says, oh, I swung by the property the other day and I noticed these things, it's like, whoa, like, okay, one, I was supposed to get the tenant's notice, like all these things, and it's like, dude, you got to tell me that. Um, so one, if the owner's going to visit, just give the property manager a heads up, say, hey, I'd like to see it. I'm thinking Tuesday at this time. Can you let the tenants know? Property manager's going to say, sure, I'll meet you there. Um, for property managers to visit, um, it kind of depends on, on their skill set um, and what are the things are going. Um, I actually push a lot of stuff to our maintenance team. We've got a really good maintenance guy, and he, um, we've kind of trained him to say, like, hey, these are the things that we're looking for and that our owners care about. Um, and so if you're on site and, the, and fixing a plumbing issue, and the tenant brings up this door that isn't quite hanging right, absolutely go out and fix it um, on the same trip and just include it in the invoice. Um, but to, So that's kind of also on the proactive side. Um, I try to get out to a property at the very least in a very formal way twice a year. You do it in spring and you do it in fall. And so that's that's a very like formal, I have an actual checklist, I have my handyman at my side, and we're actually looking up you know, and we're going in the attics, we're going in the basements, and we're being, you know, very involved. It's we're spending, you know, a good a good amount of time at each property. So that's a that's an all day activity. So, um, but other than that, it's kind of you kind of just have if you have a team like we work with leasing agents who um, I kind of say like, hey, how did it look or like what was how the tenants um, feel as they were you know walking through it or the the applicants. And you kind of work with the team and you train people to be your eyes and ears. And that goes a long way because, like, just as an owner, you're going to miss stuff. Or you're going to say, like, oh, that's always been that way. And someone might, someone new might say, like, mm, I don't know if it's supposed to be that way. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's good. Having different perspectives give you feedback. And um, I really like that you said that you, as a manager, mm -hmm. make a point to visit the property twice a year at least. Yeah. And that's basically like a full inspection. Like if I was going to sell the property, um, that's the type of inspection that I'm doing. And and um, I was and city city of Minneapolis comes and does their inspection. I'm going to be there for that. Um, when Section Eight does their inspection, I'm going to be for that. Um, and so outside of those, I'm going to have two very formal email all the tenants. Hey, I'm going to be here basically all day looking at everything. So I'm going to be under the kitchen sink. I'm going to be up in the attic, like I said before. That's good. You're going to uncover a lot because, you know, otherwise, especially with scattered site properties, um, the, things can come up and you might not notice them for months or years if you're never there. Yeah, and it's the little things that, that, that really screw you over. Um, it's like we were at one property and there's a shelf in the shower and that was installed by the previous property manager. And when the shower runs, it hits the shelf and slowly actually runs outside the shower and hits right next to the tub. And this was a new property for us. And so we saw that and moved the shelf that was blocking the wall. And there was a huge rotting hole this big right next to the tub. 
And then we went downstairs and noticed in the kitchen there were starting to be cracks where the ceiling was actually collapsing due to the rot up above. And so that didn't happen overnight. That happened over probably a year or two of negligence. And so we're now the property managers that have to, to pass that news on to the owner. And it's not fun, but bad news doesn't get better with time. So you, you got to say, hey, we were at the property. We did our inspection. This is what we found. You know, here's what we think it's going to cost. Like, we think this has to be repaired immediately next month. Or, you know what, this can be a summer thing. That one's going to be a next week thing. <laughs> that phrase you just said probably is something good to repeat uh, as a property manager on a weekly, if not daily basis, that bad news doesn't get better with time. <laughs> it just doesn't. Like, that's one of the things, like, self-managers, they do is they carry all that stress. And property managers have that same amount of stress, but you have to go tell somebody else about it. Like, hey, this is your property. This happened. And that's a that's a big thing, and a, and a good property manager will handle will take that very seriously. Um, one reason why I got into real estate, I used to be in sales, doing business B two B sales, working with businesses. And one reason I really liked real estate, it's very personal. Uh, this isn't funny money, or it's like not one company's money selling, giving it to another company. This is per, piece, people's personal assets, and that's a really really re, real thing. When I tell an owner saying, "Hey, we had." Um, a repair on one of your appliances, it's going to cost $200. And that owner says, could we split that into two months? I don't have $200 right now. That's, that's a serious thing. Um, and so that, I mean, that's always a good reminder is this is people's personal money and, and they're, they're betting a lot, um, that it's, that it's going to work out. And so as a property manager, you better show up. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap up the show here. I appreciate all the insights and knowledge you've brought here. Absolutely. Bef before I let you go, though, I want to just give you a chance to share a little bit more about yourself and, and have the audience kind of get some insight into who you are. Sure. So my first question for you is, why do you get up in the morning? Uh, why do I get up in the morning? One, I love mornings. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm married and my wife uh, doesn't let me set the alarm before 530. Um, and so... Um, I just love working with people. I love solving, solving problems. Um, um, yeah, that's, that's really why I love working with people. Okay, great. And so my second question for you is, what's a either event or person in the past that has been pivotal to creating, uh, making you who you are today? <laughs> There's a lot. Um, gosh. Um, well, my faith definitely impacts a, a lot of what I do. Um, and a lot of people uh, have poured into me. Um, um, a lot of really, really good mentors, uh, people at Wits, great, really great guys. They've, they've taught me a lot, a lot of really good coworkers. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think there's one particular person. Um, but there's been a lot of people that have come alongside me and, and knocked some sense out of me and yeah. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. And then, uh, before I let you go, what's the best way that people could get in touch with you if they want to learn more about, uh, your real estate services, property sure. management services. Sure. Um, best way is probably email. My email is just uh, josh.brook at witsrealty.com. Um, I also try to share a lot of my thoughts around real estate investing on a blog. Uh, it's it's miniinvestor.com, M-I-N-N-E, investor, like Minneapolis uh, or, or minnesotainvestor.com. Um, but to personally reach reach out to me, email is great. Um Love grabbing coffee or grabbing a beer and, and talking with people. Okay. So 
Wonderful. Well, I appreciate you being my guest today. John, this is great. This is really fun. Wonderful. And then I just want to talk to our audience briefly here. Uh, if you learned anything today or got a good idea how to manage your property better, uh, just consider uh, commenting. You can comment on our YouTube video. You can comment on the Facebook page. And we'd really appreciate you helping us get the word out about this new show by using iTunes and putting a rating and review on there. And that's really how we can get the word out to more people. So thank you for listening or watching, and I will see you next time. Make it a great day. Hey, John. Just wanted to thank you again for inviting me out on your uh, podcast. It was a lot of fun and really glad we had the chance to talk. One of the things that we did talk about during the interview was self-managers not fully understanding the criteria when it comes to screening tenants, and especially with some of the new regulations that, that came out, the new ordin ordinances in, in Minneapolis. Uh, this is an area that I really care about and want to offer uh, to pay for uh, the seminars that um, Homeline Minnesota puts on. It's a really great organization that have a good workshop for property managers and understanding the laws in Minnesota. So the best way for people to uh, sign up for this is actually reach out to me and I'll, I'll go ahead and pay for the class. My email is josh.brook at witsrealty.com. And Brook is B-R-O-O-K and Wits is W-I-T-S. Uh, so just email me at josh.brook at witsrealty.com. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investment in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.